But today, we are continuing our series called Seven, going through the seven deadly sins. If this is your first time with us, I'm very glad that you're here. My name is Dave, one of the pastors here, the, the people that are joining us online. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Um, and uh, we, we are in part six. And today we're talking about envy. And the main thing today is envy is saying that God has no right to bless someone more than you. That's what envy is. So God blesses people all the time. How many of you all have been blessed? How many? Absolutely. Yes. He blesses him how he wants, when he wants, and that's that. It's his right. Everything is his. Everything. Your clothes, your house, your car, your money, your, your everything in the world is his. And he gives it as he sees fit. It's all his. He can give it however he wants or whomever he wants. And envy has a problem with that. <clears throat> envy has a problem with how God does what, what God does with what is his. That's what men, envy is. All right? Envy takes the blessing that God gives someone else and makes it about us. All right? Now, you know, for example, you were just fine having a great day, and then you find out that your neighbor got another car. Now, 10 seconds before you saw that, you were happy. And now you're mad. You were perfectly happy with your car until you saw theirs. Their car has nothing to do with you. You can still go to work. You still listen to the same tunes. You name it. And you're still upset because envy is saying that God has no right to bless that neighbor like he did. Uh, Check out this quote from Leslie Flynn. This is just golden. I love this. The envious man feels others' fortunes are his misfortunes. Their profit, his loss, their blessing, his curse, their health, his illness, their promotion, his demotion, their success, his failure. Um, Envy's taking what's going on in the lives of everyone else and making it about you. That's what it is. Uh, The first stimulus uh, I ever received was during the George Bush years in 2007. The, the, the government saw the, the 2008 crash coming. They tried to send money to everybody to, to stave off uh, the, the, the results of it. And, and the stimulus, how many, how many of you all re- remember that in 2007, if you were still alive? Like half the people in the church like, oh, I wasn't even alive back then. So. Uh, but yeah, I, I, okay, so it went according to your tax bracket. If you were in the lowest tax bracket like I was, because I was a youth minister, we got 300 bucks, and the people in the top tax bracket, you know, the pay, people that paid like, you know, uh, that make a million dollars or more, got 3,000 or so, something like that. And I remember the day that came out, and the, all over the news media were people whining and complaining about how little they got compared to everyone else. I remember one person they interviewed saying, well, the rich got enough to buy a car and I didn't get enough to buy a steering wheel. Well, people that make a million dollars a year buying a $3,000 car, maybe. I mean, Dave Ramsey was around back then, maybe. But uh, I can remember thinking, what business is it of mine how much someone else got? Seriously, what business is it of mine? I remember thinking that. And Thomas Aquinas says this, love rejoices the good fortune of your neighbor while envy grieves over it. The summer after my senior year in college, um, I, I went back to my regular summer job working in a lumberyard. That's what I did when I was in college, three summers. Uh, I'd worked there the previous two summers, <clears throat> and I'd gotten to be a very good forklift operator. Okay? Uh, I was actually really good at that. I earned the title yard dog. 
Now, to the ladies in there, that's actually a compliment, okay? Us guys like being called, that's actually a, a good thing, okay? Um, and, and I was given more responsibility. I loaded up flatbeds with lumber, with wall panels, trusses, uh, pallets full of windows uh, and for, that went to the houses that our crews were building, all right? Now, I made six bucks an hour. And seeing how minimum wage was four twenty-five an hour, I was living high in the hog. All right, most of my friends in college were working retail or, or fast food. They were making four twenty-five. I was making six, and I was the kingpin. I was getting married that June, uh, and I was going to be going away on the honeymoon, and I was going to be leaving permanently, not coming back. And so they hired a guy named Dennis, who I was supposed to train. I was supposed to train this guy to be a forklift operator, to be yard dog, all right? Well, let's just put it this way. The guy was as worthless as a bass player. I mean, he was. Showed up half the time, didn't show up the other, other half the time. When he was there, he complained all day long. How everything was someone else's fault, et cetera. One day we were sitting around at lunch after about two weeks of, of, of Dennis, I think he'd showed up maybe five days in two weeks. <clears throat> Dennis was on as one of his complaining rants, and he ended the rant with, and I can't believe I only make $7.50 an hour. Well, I don't have to tell you how that went over. I'd been perfectly happy with $6 an hour, you guys, until I heard someone was making more. And not only was someone making more, someone I was training was making more than me. A guy that showed up half the time, couldn't do any work, floundered around, he was terrible. He was a terrible worker, was making $1.50 an hour more than me. See, guys, envy is a spiritual condition where you, have, where you believe God has no right to bless someone more than you. What difference did it make to me whether or not Dennis made seven fifty an hour? Or 425. What difference does that make to me? I'm going to be able to pay, pay my bills. I'm, I'm, going to have to, I'm going to have to tithe. I have to save. All those things. It didn't affect my life at all, did it? Well, turns out it did. I'd worked there for three years and I built a reputation as a guy who always showed up to work, who did good work, who never complained, um, got along with everyone, was a hard worker. They wouldn't have hired me. They wouldn't have put me out and given me all that responsibility if I hadn't. And it was an honor to have that job. And I destroyed my reputation in less than two weeks. They wanted me to train Dennis to take my place when I was gone, and I'd been doing my best to train him until that point. I quit doing my best. And to my own shame, I let him fail. I, let him, I watched him struggle. I watched him dump a, a load of wall panels, destroying the wall panels. The crew had to go back in and redo it, putting a, one of our crews way behind. Um... The truckers got paid by the load, not by the hour. So the more loads that they took out, four or five a day, they could make hundreds of dollars. Well, with Dennis struggling, floundering, and me not helping, and me doing a half rear-ended uh, job of helping him out, maybe they only got two or three loads, robbing them of hundreds of dollars a day. I got called into the boss's office. He looked at me and asked me what the, in, in construction worker language, um, Hades, was wrong with me. And I told him, and I felt so self-righteous telling him too, how the, the, the company had wronged me. And I said, I'm not, it's not right, I'm training a guy who doesn't know a forklift from a hole in the ground, and he's making $1.50 more an hour than me. And he looked at me, his name was Tony. 
And he looked at me and he said, Dennis shouldn't have said anything. That's why we don't talk about what we make around here. And he shook his head at me. He didn't have to say anything. He knew, but I could tell how pathetic I looked in his eyes. I spent three years building a reputation as a hard worker, did his best and never complained. I destroyed it in two weeks. I let envy get the best of me, you guys. And as I reflected on that ugly episode when I recognized my own weakness, my own propensity to this sin of envy, I realized my problem wasn't with Dennis at all. Even though I took it out on him, my problem was not with him. I'd become the older brother in the prodigal son's story. Now, if, you're, if you know the prodigal son's story, the father has two sons. One of them decides he's going to go away, the younger one go away and, and, and live life to the fullest. He takes his, his inheritance and just squanders it, and he comes back beaten and broken and, and bruised, and, and the father throws his hands around him, says, welcome back, and throws him a party, all right? Well, <clears throat> we pick up that story in Luke 15, 25 through 30. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called the servants and asked them what was going on. So your brother's come, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never given me such as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. When this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. We find three things out about the older brother that are very relevant to our lives. Sin of envy. The first thing is this. The sin that envy shows that we have a problem with God. We have a problem with God. See, the older brother had a problem with how the father treated his brother. Didn't have a problem with the brother. Had a problem with the father. Right? He was upset the grace that he was shown. I know people in churches that are upset when we show grace to people. People get that way. He was upset at the gift of the party he showed his brother. He, he, he took how his, how his father blessed his brother and made it about him. Envy. Who had the, old, who had the younger brother sinned against? The father, right? So if anyone had a problem with it, it should have been the father. As I reflected back on the Dennis episode, I realized I'd done the same thing. So I'm going to be real, real frank with you guys. See, Dennis needed that job, didn't he? He needed that job, and, he, and God provided him with one in the, lumber, in the lumber yard, probably making better money than he could have anywhere else. Not only that, God also provided him with a mentor, a guy who could teach him, a Christian man who was going to be a pastor. God provided him with a job and a mentor. And it turns out I had a problem with that plan for Dennis. That's what envy did to me. I had a problem because I felt like I was wronged in God's plan for Dennis. I made it about me. Guys, this is utterly psychotic. It's utterly psychotic. And I mean, and I rationalize it by saying, well, life isn't fair. It's just not fair that this is happening. Well, life isn't fair, buttercup. Haven't that, and that would have been told since we were knee-high to a grasshopper that life isn't fair. Deal with it. So you have a, do you have a problem with how God has blessed other people? Do you really, if you are honest, do you have a problem with God's plan for other people? See, that's what envy is, you guys. All right? 
And you say, no, 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 not at all. Envy is not something that bothers me at all. Well, here, do, do, do this for me. Tomorrow, go to HR, go to Human Resources, and get the salaries of what everybody makes, and then post that up in the break room. You'll see your company fall apart. Okay, and then do this. Then go down to the funeral home and say that you're the family lawyer and of, of the deceased and, and tell the kids that one of the kids got twice as much as everybody else. You see the family fall apart in a heartbeat. I've seen it so much. Guys, see, the first sin in the Bible is recorded in Genesis 3. It's when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. The second recorded sin in the Bible, you know what it is? It's a murder. Cain kills his brother Abel. Do you know what caused it? Envy. Envy caused the second sin. So envy has been part of humanity's story since the beginning. Cain and Abel were two brothers. They both made offerings to God. They, they both made offerings. God liked Abel's and didn't like Cain's. Why? Well, easy. The reason is that Abel brought his best. He brought the first tithe, first ever recorded tithe in the Bible. He brought the first fruits. He brought the very best of his flocks and gave it to, to, gave it to God. Cain just kind of threw some vegetables at him. Half-hearted. And that's why Abel's was looked on with favor and Cain's wasn't. When someone, isn't it amazing that that causes envy? When you do a half-hearted job, someone else does their best and they get the reward and you get jealous of it? Isn't that amazing? When someone puts in the work and you don't, they're rewarded for it, they outworked you, they out-earned you. They wanted it more, they worked harder for it, they brought their best, and you brought a half-hearted response, and they get the win, and you get, at, you get, you get angry at it. it. happens all the time, you guys. So Cain murders Abel. Instead of bringing his best, he decided to eliminate the competition. And guys, that's what envy will do to you. Instead of upping your game, instead of bringing your best, you will try to assassinate the competition, all right? Have you ever criticized a colleague's work? Because he did better work than you, or she did better work than you, and you criticized it? You ever try to assassinate them professionally? You ever criticized another person's kid who got the reward when your kid didn't? Try to assassinate them instead of, instead of doing your best? See, guys, that's what envy does. It shows you have a problem with God. Is he came wanted to punish God by taking his favorite away, taking Abel away. That's what it was. Envy is totally about your relationship with God. It's not about other people. Second thing we find out about this is that envy, get this, envy makes a lot of assumptions about people. See, when envy, when you are living in the spiritual condition of envy, you start making all kinds of assumptions about people. Look at what the older brother did. The older brother said, when the son of yours squanders your property with prostitute. How do you know that? He didn't know that, did he? He had no idea, unless he was following his little brother around, which he wasn't, he had no idea, but he makes the assumption that he did. And that's what envy will do. It'll make you make assumptions that aren't true about people. See, guys, when I was eaten up with envy about Dennis, I saw all his faults. I probably, in my mind, made up some things that weren't true about him. I only saw the times he messed up. I never saw the times he did good work. That's what envy does to you. It's like the older brother. I only saw his brother's faults. I only saw Dennis's faults. All because he was making more money per hour than me. You realize how small that is? What all, all it was was $1.50 an hour. Do you see what $1.50 an hour is capable of doing to me? How low my price is? 
My goodness. I look back at that with just terrible. So I want to ask you, what are you assuming about people that God has blessed? What are you assuming about them? They may or may not be true, but it's none of your business because it's between them and God. All right, you've taken God's blessings on someone else and made it about you. How many of you out of envy today have lied about the people around you, said things you, don't, that you know aren't true? Let's see if any of these sound familiar. The coach and his dad are friends. That's the reason he's on the team instead of you. Uh, he's never worked a day in his life. He just knows all the right people. I'll bet she's sleeping with the boss. That's how she got the promotion. And of course, the high holy sounding one. Well, our church would be that big too if we watered down the gospel and told everyone what they wanted to hear. If you don't think envy is a temptation for pastors, you don't know pastors very well. If you want to shake up a pastor's meeting, all you got to do is walk in and say, hey man, we doubled in attendance this year. And the records player, you know, will scratch and everybody will look at you and everybody will go. And then start talking about how a false prophet you are. Yeah, that's exactly what happens with pastors. It's, it's the way it is. Seriously, envy makes you make assumptions about people. And the Holy Spirit of God is telling you, stop doing that. That is not reality. That is envy, the spiritual condition of envy that is assassinating this person in your mind. It happens all the time. The third thing we find out about the older brother here is this, is that envy keeps you from enjoying the party. My goodness, people, how much good times, how many wonderful things have we missed because we were envious. There was music and dancing. I don't know about life back then, but parties didn't happen all that much, and all of a sudden, there was this party, and the older brother finds out that it's for his brother, and all of a sudden, he can't be a part of it. What did he miss? He missed the party. He was actually mad that there was a party. How many good things, you guys? How many wonderful friendships could you have? How many amazing possessions could you simply enjoy if you weren't envious? How much more joy would you have if you stopped making other people's lives about you and simply enjoyed the things that God has blessed you with? How much more peaceful would our homes be? How much more wonderful our lives would be? How much more joy we would have if we stopped comparing ourselves to others and we stopped looking at how God has blessed them and start focusing on how God has blessed us? Envy makes you miss the party. You guys, I want to tell you, I know that, that if, you, if you're watching the media and everything, I know that this is supposedly the worst time in human history. I'm telling you, if you don't get online, this is awesome. This place is amazing. This, we are living the golden years, you guys. We really are. This, I, look, at, look, at, look at our church. Look how beautiful the day is outside. Look at, we are the wealthiest people that have lived in the history of this planet. We have more than we could ever possibly need. And we are blessed beyond imagine. And if you listen to people, my goodness, everyone is missing it. We're missing what God is doing. And I'm so tired of all the complaining and everything of people that are blessed beyond imagine, you guys. It's killing us because we miss the party that God has thrown for us. Man, 
How much more joyful could we be if we just stopped looking at how God has blessed other people and just thanking him for how he's blessed us? It's all God's. He can do what he wants with it. Man, the great thing about the older brother, though, he does one thing right. He does. As he goes straight to the father. He doesn't go to his brother, tell him how awful he is. He goes straight to the father because the older brother, even though he's, he's always trashed in this story, knows one thing that a lot of us don't, that the father's the only one who can do something about it. And so guys, instead of going to these people that we, that we don't have a problem with, we take it straight to God. And guys, how does the father in the story react when his envious older brother comes to him complaining and whining? Does the father tell him to suck it up, to quit whining, to be a man? No, no, he doesn't. The father listens because he said, this is my son. And if it's important to him, it's important to me because I love him. I'm going to listen. He may be wrong, but I'm going to listen anyway. See, guys, he realizes that this is really important to his son. And it's really, no matter how wrong he is, he treats him with grace. These complaints that I take to God, you guys, are a big deal for me. They're a big deal to you. Because a lot of times I know I, I, I sound like I'm whining, so I start my prayers like this. I, I know I shouldn't feel this way, but... Or I know I should be more mature than this, but... Uh, I know that in a big grand scheme of things, this isn't a big deal, but... None of that is necessary, guys. Why? Because it's important to you. And therefore, it's important to God because you are important to God. Every concern is important to him because you're important to him. Finances, success, appearance, children, it's all important to him. Keep bringing it and bringing it to the Father and bringing it to the Father and bringing it to the Father. Keep bringing it all to God. All the things that you think are wrong with the way that God is running the, thing, running the place, the way that he has blessed people and not you, keep taking it to God. He already knows you feel that way. He already knows, okay? And I have to confess something. As a man, it's easier for me to own my anger than my jealousy and my envy. I can make a good case for my anger, but the second I start to talk about my jealousy, you guys, I feel really immature. So I don't talk about it. But it's there. It's there when I hear of a church plant that within one year is bigger than ours. Uh, it's there when I see a kid who's a better athlete than one of my kids. Uh, it's there when I'm walking on the beach and there's a guy with a six-pack. It's there when I see a guy with a normal-sized nose. Uh, it's there, you know, when I see someone with a car that's less than, well, 19 years old. And mostly, it's there when I'm riding motorcycles with the guys and all theirs make this deep rumble and mine goes zzzz. <laughs> that may sound harmless, but it's not. Envy is dangerous, you guys. It's dangerous because it shapes our attitude towards people. You can't love someone that you're envious towards. Conquering envy starts with this admission. The reason that I resent this person has nothing to do with that person. Life isn't working out for me the way I want to, and God, it is your fault. Then you take your old car, your tiny house, 
your hand-me-down clothes, your muffin top, your staticky old TV, your dead-end job, your poor health, your less-than-stellar ACT scores to the only one that can do anything about it. God, all your frustrations, all your hurts, all your sorrows, all your wants, all your needs, everything straight to God. Go ahead and tell him how unhappy you are with the way he created you. He can take it. He's God. He already knows you feel this way, right? He knows you. there's no use hiding it. And then say, Lord, to sum it up, I think you owe me. Now, if you can honestly look God in the face and tell him that, then you're almost at a breakthrough. You're almost there. Because then you realize God doesn't owe you anything. We owe him everything, including an apology. God's unhindered acceptance of us is why we can do this. All right? His grace is bigger than our complaints. And plus, he's the only one that can do anything about it. See, guys, more than any of the seven deadly sins, hear this, more than any of the other deadly sins, envy is the canary in the coal mine as to your relationship with God. It really is. And if you're ready to deal with your envy, after you've taken it straight to God, you realize the, 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 the truth of Proverbs 14.30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bone you realize that you have been living basically in a rotted existence. And when you're ready to own all of that, then the Holy Spirit transforms our envy, our sick spiritual condition, and he flips it to the most joyful thing that Christians and people can do. It's a thing called celebration. A cure for envy is celebration. Philippians 4, 1, 11 through 13 says this, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret to, content, to, be, to being content in any and every situation, whether being well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul said the goal of the Christian is contentment in God. See, a heart at con that is content, a heart at peace does not envy because a heart at peace doesn't worry about what other people are doing. Heart at peace. A, person's, a heart at peace looks at a person's good fortune and realizes it's not my misfortune. A, a, a heart at peace looks at um, a, another person's gain, realizing it's not my loss. A heart at peace looks at someone else's reward as not being my punishment. If something good happens to someone, it doesn't mean that something bad happened to me, you guys. That's what a heart at peace, that's what Paul was talking about, being content. Celebration. Then, guys, instead of we adopt the attitude of celebration, something good happens to someone, man, let's throw a party. We've been missing so many parties. We've been missing so many good times. Man, let's just go look for things to celebrate. Someone else's kid makes a team and yours doesn't. Man, throw him a party. Go get him an ice cream cake. Let your kid eat half of it. Man, he doesn't care. You know, go throw a party. This is something worth celebrating. This is awesome. The other neighbor gets a new car. Man, go wash it for him. Get to touch it. It's cool. It's not about you. This is their car. This is awesome. 
Why do, why do we make it about us? We adopt the policy of celebration, and we face the world with the celebratory attitude, looking for the way that God has blessed other people and cheering them on because it's all his anyway, and he can do whatever he wants with it. And guys, when you are at peace, you realize that God is doing the right thing. He's given the right stuff to the right people, and how they use it is between them and God. And if they misuse it, it is not up to me. God's going to deal with it, not me. And that allows so much peace, so much contentment, so much celebration in our lives. Guys, an attitude of celebration, a heart at peace, brings life to the body, but envy rots the bones. See, guys, I want to invite the band to come on back up. Envy makes other people's blessings about you. You see their good fortune as something against you. It's psychotic. Let's get rid of it. There's no place in our church. There's no place in our lives. Celebration makes other people's blessings about God. When you see something good happen to someone else, you give praise to your heavenly Father. God, you are so good. Thank you for blessing them like that. That's just awesome. I bet they really needed that. I bet that is really awesome for them. Main thing, envy is saying that God has no right to bless someone more than you. So maybe right now is a time of repentance. I want you to think about that person or those people that you think God has blessed more than you. Someone who has more, someone who is, uh, someone you've been making up lies about, someone that, that uh, uh, is just stopping you from enjoying things. I want you to think about that. And I want you to ask God this morning, Lord, remove that from me. I don't want to live in that spiritual condition anymore. Change my envy to celebration. Let me walk out of this church. Lord, just enjoying what you've blessed me with and quit worrying about what, he's, what you're blessed everyone else with. Why don't you guys do that? That's the best way to live.